Life's too short. Life's too damn short. So, eat everything. Try anything. Exercise. Experience all that life has to offer. Here's exercise physiologist, medical journalist, and healthy talk host, Melanie Cole, MS. There's been extensive media coverage of the declining bee population. You see people putting things on Facebook about it, and you hear about it in the news media. And because of all of this, it seems that people are starting to take notice. But what can we actually do about it? My guest today is Matthew Shepard. He's the communications director of the Xerces Society. Welcome to the show, Matthew. So what is happening with the bees, and how long has this been going on? Uh, um, the, the problem with bees is that, like all wildlife, they're, they're suffering as their habitats, uh, the, the places they live, places they, they nest, the places they feed. Um, all of these are, are gradually disappearing, retreating under um, you know, new roads and new neighborhoods. Um, so that they, they, they face so many similar things as the, um, the rest of the wildlife out there. I mean, as for how long this has been happening, well, people started um, talking about this back in the 1990s. Um, even earlier than that, I mean, Rachel Carson mentioned the importance of, of um, protecting pollinators in um, uh, Silent Spring. And then you can even go back to the 1930s with um, Dr. Edith Patch, who back then was concerned about the impact of pesticides on pollinators and other insects and was promoting the idea of creating habitats specifically to support them. So it is something that people have been thinking about for a long time, but only really reached, um, uh, I don't want to use the word crisis because that seems like it's overstating, but um, about 15 years ago, people suddenly realized that maybe there wouldn't be enough honeybee hives to support um, pollination of some crops, for example. Um, and so that's, that's what really suddenly made people sit up and, and start taking notice. So we still see in the summer, Matthew, a lot of things like sweat bees, which people don't typically think of as something that are endangered, but we hear about the honeybees, and we certainly don't see as many bumblebees. Are all the different types of bees considered pollinators? Are they all sort of endangered? Or are things like the sweat bees that we see in the summertime hanging around a Coke can, are those ones in danger as well? Um, all bees are, are pollinators. Um, they actually need the pollen and the nectar that they they collect and take it back to the nest just to feed their offspring. So um, in doing that, they're moving pollen from one flower to another. So, yeah, very definitely they are all pollinators. Are they all threatened or endangered? Well, there are thousands of species of bees in North America. Um, some of them are very definitely threatened. I mean, just recently there was the rusty patch bumblebee that was added to the list of protected species under the Endangered Species Act. And we know with that one that you know, it had like a 90% um, decline in its, its population and disappeared from state after state where it used to be found. Um, but you mentioned sweat bees, and sweat bees are probably not endangered or threatened, but partly because they are um, able to adapt to the constantly changing environment in ways that other species can't. And carpenter bees, people consider these a bit of a problem, even though they can be easily confused with bumblebees. But when you see a carpenter bee, and if you've had a carpenter bee at your house, then you learn about them. They don't have stingers, and they just try and get up in your face and scare you because they're so big, but they look like bumblebees. So people hesitate to do anything about them. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the, but the carpenter bees, the ones in your face, are, are probably the males. And they're just defending their territory, and they certainly don't have a stinger. Um, the females do have a stinger. All female bees have a stinger. Um, but bees like the carpenter bees that are solitary nesting, they're, they're very reluctant to use their stinger. They're, if they feel threatened, they're more likely to just fly away and get out of there. Um, so they, yeah, they, they, they're fantastic to have around, and um, it's often only the, the colonial bees, such as the honeybee, that is likely to sting you. Yeah, I, I, I sort of have fun with the carpenter bees, and I say, boo, like, and you know, when they come up, because they get right in your face, and then they fly away, but then they come right back. It's almost like you're playing with them. But let's talk about the pollinators we do yeah. really want to bring back. And so what do you want the public to know, Matthew, about things we can plant in our yard, maybe insecticides you do not want us using that to, to get rid of, you know, other sorts of insects that we don't want to ruin our vegetables and crops. But what can we do to help bring these guys back? Yeah, there are lots of different things that you can do, but one of them most straightforward um, is just to plant flowers. I know that might seem like a simplistic thing to say, but our landscapes in general, the flowers are beginning to disappear. Um, you know, the weed killers are killing them off or they're being plowed under. There's lots of different ways. And um, if, if we can put flowers back into the landscape, then that's just going to make our, our landscapes better for, for bees. And you don't need to have a big yard. You know, if you've got a few planters on your on your deck, then you can grow bee-friendly flowers in those. And, and even that will help put another flower back in um, and support more bees. Um, but... So the, I mean, the kind of flowers that you can choose, because there's such a, a range of bees, just so many different species, they're active all through the year from the late winter through to the fall. And so you want to try and have as many flowers growing and blooming through the year. And so one thing about the book is one of the pieces of information that we provide you is the bloom period, because ideally you would be able to sit down and go, oh, I, need, I should have three flowers blooming in the spring and three flowers blooming in the summer and three flowers blooming in the fall. And so this book will help you find the appropriate flower that will allow you to, to provide that constant um, season-long bloom. Um, you also mentioned, mentioned insecticides. In, yeah, insecticides um, and pesticides because people have slugs and they have, you know, grubs, grub worms that get in there. And, so, and, and Japanese beetles, so they try and fight off those things and yet some of the pesticides they're using also are getting rid of the bees that are going to help all their vegetables and flowers to grow. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a dilemma. Um, gardeners want, want their plants to be healthy and look nice. Um, but uh, the, the ways that these plants are being treated now, um, particularly with a group of insecticides known as neonicotinoids, which don't just remain on the surface of the plant but actually get inside the tissue, that means that these insecticides are now turning up in the nectar and the pollen. Um, and it may only be a minuscule amount with each sip of nectar that the bee takes, but that does accumulate over time. Um, and it does affect the, the bee's ability to fly or to navigate its way back to the nest. And, and in some cases, actually just kills the bees outright. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's a problem um, for bees. And sometimes it can make pest control difficult with, with certain pests. Most pests, I mean, by the time you have a nice range of flowers in your yard, and particularly if they're, they're native flowers, which have been shown to, su 
support a wider range of insects. Um, you're not just bringing in the bees um, and the butterflies, but you're also getting the predators. Um, there are species of beetles that eat other insects and flies that lay their eggs inside uh, um, insects and then wasps as well that are, are feeding on insects. And so there are lots of different um, predators that come in and, and will be very effective at controlling the problem species. So, Matthew, another problem for the gardener, and I'm a gardener, I'm a vegetable gardener, and I'm always working in one area of my yard or another. I have a big yard, so I'm always, you know, really tilling or pulling something, but weeds are like my nemesis. But by getting rid of my weeds, (laughs) even if I'm using vinegar and, and dish soap and Epsom salt and I'm trying not to kill the earth, am I also then damaging the bee population that would be in my yard because I'm getting rid of weeds like dandelions and things that could also be pollinated? Um, I, I think every gardener is going to have their, their own tolerance for weeds, for sure. Um, a weed is, can be defined simply as the wrong plant in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and so in, in some landscapes, you know, that, that beautiful rose bush may just be the wrong plant at the wrong time. Um, and then you could define that as a weed. So weeds do bring bloom and blossom into the into some landscape, um, but you also are wanting to to control what what you're growing. And if you're growing vegetables, you want to have um, you know, a relatively weed-free vegetable plot so that you you get the crop that you need. But you may, in between your vegetable harvest, you might be wanting to grow a, a cover crop or a green manure crop, um, and then you can you can bring the 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 flowers back into your your vegetable garden at a time when you're not trying to grow your crop. So that's good advice. Now wrap it up for us, Matthew. Give your best advice for people listening on how you want them to get involved and what you want them to do about this dwindling bee population and the fact that we're we're hearing things like that the honey prices are going to go up and you know, bumblebees, which are a little scary to get stung by, are still kind of beautiful to watch, and we don't want them to go away. So tell people where they can find out more information, what you'd like them to do, and where they can buy your book. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the first thing is to care. And once you care, then you're going to want to do something about it. And planting flowers, I'm already said, is, is a simple thing to do and can be done anywhere. Um, it, if you, if you want to, to find the book, um, I would hope that you'd be able to find it in local bookstores, certainly on, online at various um, booksellers. But you can also go to the Xerces Society's website, which is xerces.org, which is X-E-R-C-E-S dot O-R-G, and you'll find the book there, plus all sorts of other bits of information and other ways you can get involved with things like citizen science projects, monitoring for, for bumblebees and, and helping um the scientists build up a better and more accurate picture of where these species are. So there's all sorts of little things that can be done, and you don't have to do it all. If you just do one thing, then that's a fantastic step forward. Well, it certainly is, and I hope people will go to the Xerces.org, and they've got slash Bring Back the Pollinators, where you can read some really great information on the Bring Back the Pollinators campaign, and I'm sure the book is available as well on on Amazon and anywhere you can find good books. And maybe you want to get two because you might lose one. But attracting native pollinators, <laughs> it's something we certainly always want to do is, is help the environment. That's what it's about, listeners. We have to do this. You're listening to Life's Too Short. Thanks, Matthew, for being with us today. This is Melanie Cole. Stay well.